All right. That's it. Let's start this fucking podcast. Dang. All right. An hour in. All right. All right, you sobs. Listen up. Does, does... Okay, well, never mind. It's, it's... Anybody who sat through that last hour and is listening now, congratulations. Oh, the, the last, the last hour the was not recorded. It wasn't a live the reason it wasn't recorded is because I had to, like, every... The recording could not that I have here is not complicated, but it is a little too complicated for that. Every time we switched from Hangouts to Skype, Hangouts to Skype, like I had to reconfigure a bunch of shit in my recording setup to make sure I'm pulling audio from the right source because what I was terrified of was that we would start mm-hmm. actually getting somewhere that worked and then I wouldn't have been recording the right thing. <laughs> what do you use? Do you use like OBS? Audio hijack. Audio hijack, all right. Yep. Okay, so uh, I have two unopened Guinnesses and a Guinness that I'm working on. Uh, my wife is in the field for the next two days, so I'm ready to rip. So let's talk yeah. about a Disney animated feature. This yeah. is Cinema Excelsior. Uh, going from, shit, we're, on, we're in a different recording app, so I can't do digital left <laughs> to digital right. Uh, in the upper left. It never made sense any time that you ever um, said it. Stefan, could you could you please refer to this in terms of uh, Star Trek quadrants? Okay, in the Alpha Quadrant, we have Daniel Watson Jones. <laughs> Hello. He is playing the role of Big Hero One. But and... we each have different quadrants because none of us can see ourselves. <laughs> also, like I'm like, do you think like, that where you... do you where do you think the Alpha Quadrant is? And like, are is. Cause like the Alpha I know Quadrant, exact, is, I know exactly where the Alpha Quadrant is in relationship to North, South, East, and West. That is the level Stephen, of my fandom. I but assume that the Alpha Stephen, Quadrant is uh, North, West. Nope. Nope. It's south, southwest, right? It's it's Southwest. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean it's, it's a giant southeast. galaxy, so it's all relative to wherever North is. But you know. But yeah. Most but the, maps. But the generally, most maps depict the Alpha Quadrant in the Southwest. In the beta quadrant, <laughs> we have Derek Long. Yeah, beta quadrant, best quadrant, Klingons, Romulans, yeah, baby. Yeah, so he is uh, he's playing is the role of Big Hero 2. Over in the Delta quadrant, we have Patrick Regan. Damn it! I want a Delta. Resistance, but I'm alpha, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> Patrick, I mean, Gamma's good. Gamma's fine. I don't mean to be the yeah. Dominion. Pa- Patrick is uh, playing the role of Big Hero 3. Uh, over in the Gamma Quadrant, we have Nick Bester. Yeah, Vorlons! Yep. <laughs> I guess I know nothing about the Gamma Quadrant. Absolutely nothing. That's where the Gamma Quadrant's where the Dominions is. Them, them shapeshifters be. Is, are they the... Oh, they're the ones from the other side of the wormhole? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a past season two. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Sorry. So Nick, oh, Be- okay, Nick yeah. Bester is Big Hero 4. I'm Stefan Claypool. Cool. I'm representing the Mirror Universe, and I'm Big Hero 5. And we're here today to talk about Big Hero 6. That's our bit. Oh. Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about these, uh, these characters. Do they, act, do they actually call themselves Big Hero One, Two, Three, Four, Five? They don't call themselves Big Hero One, Two, Three, Four, Five. But <laughs> God damn it, that'd be incredible if they did. Buckle up, Sonny, because I did a little bit of research about uh, where Big Hero Six came from before it became the smash hit Disney animated film that we watched uh, for this episode of Cinema Excelsior. And before we get into this, just for clarification, we are doing Big Hero Six now. A couple years after we should have. We just lost Patrick. Oh, no, 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 I'm here. It's just my my connection was getting bad, so I just cut off my webcam to help make things easier. Um, 
Yeah, we should have done Big Hero 6 a couple years ago, but we forgot it existed because it was an animated film. And up until this past year, when Enter the Spider-Verse came out, uh, it was the only uh, Marvel animated film that had been theatrically released. Yeah, it was also I believe it's entirely because Marvel I happened to watch it on an airplane also, and mentioned it last episode that we're doing it now. It's the yes. only one that's not advertised as a Marvel film, right? I mean, it doesn't have the Marvel intro at the opening, right? Because it's not, like, uh, it's uh, the only Marvel... Like Disney Marvel property that's not MCU. Yeah, the only indication Fair. that this is a Marvel film um, is Stanley's presence. Yeah, in a very very easy to miss cameo. They they actually so this is a fun little bit of trivia. Well, he's also the, the end credit scene. The the end credit sequence was actually filmed after the fact because it they was animated after the fact. Yeah, it was not shot on location fact. in Stanley's house. <laughs> They, they, they literally were like, wait, shouldn't we have a Stan Lee cameo? And so they decided, to, like, at the last second to give him, a, uh, like, a full voice cameo. And apparently this was, like, as, you know, as he was not very... And that was the point he was starting to get very unwell. And the recording studio was actually you up mean, a like, flight Rob of Thomas? stairs. Yes. Um, up a flight of stairs. And they were, like, very frightened that they were going to kill Stan Lee by having him walk up a flight of stairs. Mm. Oh, no. Little did they know that Stan Lee was going to kill them by throwing them down that flight of stairs. Yes. Yeah. There is a kitty cat. There is a kitty cat. There is a kitty cat. But Bester doesn't know that we can see that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. I know. So there is, um, we, we are going to talk about the film Big Hero 6, but I think that it is worth grounding our conversation in the original comics of Big Hero 6 because this is... Probably the film that we have watched where the original source was more obscure than Guardians of the Galaxy when it came out. Can I, yes. Can I also just say something here at the beginning? That we are going to try not to talk about the last hour's worth of technical difficulties that we had <laughs> getting this inner, this uh, you know cross-continental call set up. You have no idea what uh, we but went But it is inevitable that it's going to get mentioned. So I'm just going to get it out of the way now, listeners. Yep. Sorry, listener. Yes, uh, thank you, <laughs> Steve. I mean, unless unless many people listen to this together, then everyone hears it individually. Yeah. So listen to the for your cinema your launch parties. <laughs> All right. So Patrick's girlfriend, what happened was it took us goddamn an hour to get this working. Yeah, we were we have sacrificed so much for you. We're kind of like Jesus, but not in a sacrilegious way. He said on Good Friday. Um, <laughs> bigger than Jesus. Can, can we believe how many like I feel like there are so many things happening this weekend it's the full moon now it's good friday tomorrow's passover then it's easter and then it's earth day man just like spread it out a little bit april and 420 and next and weekend is end game yeah and that, yeah well end game is like next week but yeah, yeah that doesn't yeah. count anyway, anyway big hero six well, I mean, if it's the real end game then the universe could end i mean we don't we don't know I mean, yeah. We don't know how right, big right. this release is going to be. So I want yeah, to you know. the biggest crossover. <laughs> it is the end game. I want to talk about this. Um, I, the yes. Okay, so spent some time with uh, with me sources at Wikipedia and the Marvel Wiki, and I want to just read out loud the fictional team biography section of the Big Hero Six comics, and let's see what what matches up here. Okay. Uh, okay. In the original comics, the Japanese government needed a team of state-sanctioned superheroes, so they consulted the Jiri, a top-secret consortium of politicians and business entities. The Jiri was formed to recruit and train potential individuals for Big Hero 6, a team of superhuman operatives. Despite reservations by some members of the Jiri, Silver Samurai, a freelance Roman and former bodyguard of terrorist Viper, was appointed as the team's field commander. Secret agent Honey Lemon, inventor of the nanotechnology-based power purse from which she can access any object, 
also agreed to join the team. The tough-talking Go-Go Tamago, able to transubstantiate her body into a fiery force blast by uttering her code name, was released from prison on the condition that she serve on the team. Finally, the Machiavellian bureaucrat known only as Mr. Oshima is appointed as the jury's spokesperson and coordinates the team's activities. You with me so far? Yes. I don't think I realized that Gogo's last name was Tamago. Yep. Wow. Go-Go Egg. Go-Go Egg. Government scientists then identified 13-year-old boy genius Hiro Takachiho as uh, a potential operative. Unimpressed with Silver Samurai, Hiro declines joining the team until his mother is kidnapped by the Everwraith, the astral embodiment of all those killed in the 1945 nuclear attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Holy fuck! How are the Hand not involved at this point? I I really want to know. Hiro creates Baymax, a synthetic bodyguard capable of transforming into a dragon using the brain engrams of his dead father. With Baymax, Hero reluctantly joins the Big Hero 6 to prevent the Everwraith from slaughtering millions in downtown Tokyo. I, could you please ex- uh, read the thing where you explained what the Everwraith was again? The Everwraith is the astral embodiment of all those killed in the 1945 mm. nuclear attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's what I thought you said. I was really hoping I was wrong. Yeah. That's bad. That's not good. That's not a good idea. Yeah. So, um... Oh, Jesus. I'm not... Like, so they kind of have a Suicide Squad thing going on. Like, yeah. this is a bunch of, like, reformed supervillains and reluctant heroes kind of deal. Yeah, and it's very much a, uh, you know, if I were an executive at Disney Animation looking for uh, an easy-to-adapt family-friendly project... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark, I looked over this idea you had... This is a comic about the uh, astral uh, wraith of everyone killed in the nuclear bombings. You want to make a kids movie out of this? Yeah, I think it'd be great. The kids are going to fucking love it. Kids kids love nuclear weapons. The, <laughs> they do, it's true. Yeah, uh, it it doesn't get uh, it doesn't get any less crazy from there. Uh, apparently they have a love hate or a uh, a friendly rivalry with Alpha Flight, the uh, world's foremost Canadian superhero team. Uh, Baymax is a dragon. Uh, he's like a robot dragon. So, yeah. It, let's call this a loose adaptation of the source material. Big Heroes. This might be the loosest adaptation. I feel like... They took I can't think names. of any... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the purse thing with Honey was, like, that's that's probably the most accurate we get. Yeah, the names that reign the same... I think beyond that nothing is but well, wasabi's not there uh wasabi so, was- or fred wasabi no ginger and fred could... nicknamed fredzilla were uh later creations to replace silver samurai and sunfire who was also a member of the team sunfire wow okay uh I I appreciate the fact that at least in the movie the implication is that gogo and wasabi are not their actual names and are in fact nicknames uh, in fact, yeah, I Wasabi, think Tommy is also implied to be uh, not her name as well. Yeah. Wasabi in, it specifically says, I spill Wasabi on my shirt one time, indicating that his name is not actually Wasabi. This is simply a nickname his friends refer to him as. Now, is that yes. how a nickname works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, you want to um, go ask gospel? I, I think it's, uh, it's important to call out that Dooge has just shared a photo in email form 
of himself being <laughs> strangled by creator of Big Hero 6, Stephen T. Siegel. <laughs> Joe for strangled. It's Thank you for telling me that because I couldn't see it. At a Comic-Con. You look like you're in some pain. I'm actually wearing the same shirt that I was wearing earlier today before I showered. You've been wearing the same shirt since Awesome Con 2014? It was a complete coincidence. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's Big Hero 6. Um, wow. it, it was a loose adaptation. So the adaptation of Big Hero 6 that we are going to talk about, uh, Disney released in 2014. Um, and, yeah, deviates substantially from the, the source material. Uh, I've been talking about the comics, and I want to take um, a swig so, of beer. Sorry, there's one thing I do need to get out of the... Go, go. I'm sorry, there's just one thing I should mention in, full, in the interest of full disclosure, um, that my older stepsister was working for Disney Animation at the time of this movie's um, release, and did... Was was the assistant to one of the producers, I believe. Um, I don't think she had jack all to do with it, anything at all. Um, the the only practical side effect of this was that when I saw it, I saw like one of the early premieres in the studio. It's just that I think in this case, I think it's just appropriate because we've never actually talked about Disney animation before. For me to be completely cards on the table, that I do have a familiar, a very 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 minor familial connection to this movie. Good to all know. Right. Now well, good. the CYA yeah, I mean, we portion of the podcast to... is finished. Yeah, we wouldn't look, want anybody to accuse us of having a uh, conflict of interest. Yes. Look, I have to work out here, and I have to go to Thanksgiving dinner with her. So, yeah, I'm going to cover well, my... I mean, it doesn't sound like you just gave her much of a compliment. You just said she did basically nothing on this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like your of, all the, of all the complications you could have created, your relationship with her is the only one that has become more <laughs> difficult. He doesn't listen to this, it, it doesn't matter. She's not our listener. <laughs> yeah. It's Patrick's girlfriend. Yeah. So, yeah, Patrick, you should probably hide your video again because you're frozen system. up. There you go. Um, okay, so I I talked about the history of the Big Hero 6 comic, which is to say I read the summary off of Wikipedia. Uh, does anyone want to take a stab at summarizing this film? Sure. I will. Dude, which you, one of us? Dude, you go. You're the one whose video I can see. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. So, uh, before the movie begins, uh, an overachiever peaks early, then turns to a life of uh, uh, profitable white-collar, blue-collar, back-alley crime. Uh, he makes money, at, or then the movie begins, he's making money gambling. Uh, uh, I can't read my own writing here. On bot fight. <laughs> um, so his, his brother shows him uh, his school for the first time ever for some reason. Uh, and the kid falls in love with achieving and wants to go to college. But And then Is he immediately invents the... Goodwill Hunting or Rounders? Both, actually. Uh, that, that, really, that, that's how they pitch this movie. Good it's round like Goodwill Hunting beats Rounders. <laughs> Get out of here, Matt Damon. We've heard this a thousand times already. <laughs> uh, so Change the fucking tune. Give us more Rainmaker. The most impressive thing that anyone has ever invented. Uh, and then is faced with the biggest and most fundamental ethical decision anyone would ever have to make. He chooses dedication and integrity over profit and uh, usage of unpredictable ethics. Uh, but then immediately both his brother and the man who is going to teach him are killed in a giant explosion. So he decides to never go to college. Uh, but then the technology is stolen. Uh, oh, and also there's a big fluffy robot uh, medical doctor dog cat thing. 
uh, Marshmallow Man. Uh, there we imagine go. if the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man weren't evil or just imaginary. Uh, I thought the lesson of that film was not to right. imagine the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I'm sorry, did you just yeah. tell me to imagine? You just told me to imagine that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is not imaginary, and that's... Yes. <laughs> uh, and also not evil. Uh, that's like a logic puzzle. We've had enough of those for tonight. But then uh, the technology is terrifying. Uh, they fly over a skitty, city, skitty, skitty a city and scan everyone uh, all at the same time. Um, find the one guy whose biometrics they have and I think I may have skipped a page here. <laughs> you did. You forgot the part where the they track down the invention. You forgot the part where he has friends dude. and they form a superhero yes. team. Evil with team. a kabuki mask. Bot yeah. battles. They open on robe on uh, battle bots. Battle bots. That's what it's called. Uh, sorry, I I watched this movie twice and I I think I skipped back and forth between like my, my notes for my two different uh, watchings. Uh, and then Stan Lee is there. Done. Okay. Patrick, your time. Yeah, you want to fill in a couple of those gaps, Patrick? Do you no, I think he pages? covered it all. Okay. My mic wasn't oh. on. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to, or do you, do you just want me to let's maybe, operate on the Let's maybe talk through this one piece at a time, okay? Um, oh, Grey Goo. There's Grey Goo. So, There's Grey Goo. He invents Grey Goo. Allow, allow me. We're going to stop where the we're going to go where the explosion happened. So yes, there was an explosion. And can we back uh, up before the explosion, brother? Can we back up before the explosion though? Because I think Dude is sure. right. Um, what hero invents is the most world-shaking technology that he could have invented. Like the film <laughs> seriously downplays how colossal that. Like this is the kind of thing that reshapes societies in very yes. short order, and the film completely underplays yeah. that. He, he, yeah, ba- and he, he basically he, creates. Super but it also it also gets into the weird anything. problem that. <laughs> yeah, but it also gets into the weird problem that um, the fa- last Fantastic Four movie did, in that it assumes that all science is done via science fair. <laughs> <laughs> and TED Talk. Well, it's yeah. a combination of science fair and TED Talk. I, sure. I, yeah. I I will say like one thing I did kind of I uh, one thing I do kind of enjoy about this movie is that it it follows under the um. Sort of under comic book rules, if you invent something, only you are allowed to use it, and you only get to invent it once. Yep. Um, and and by example, I I point out the fact that I it has never occurred to Tony Stark, hey, should I make like suits for the rest of my team? Like, never one has he ever done that. The only other person he's ever done that for is Spider Man. He did it. And, for, oh, and, right, I guess Rhodey stole a suit. Yeah, Rhodey stole yeah. a suit. And, and by the same uh, token, didn't he like, make one for Pepper? No, nope. Pepper took his suit. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so like no, by the same uh, token, Pepper became Super Pepper when she got that uh, magma thing uh, implanted. Yeah, in. so yeah. spicy. Yeah, she became she became Peppa Pig. Um, wow. so Super Pepper is like I'm not. Even it, it, it is sort of like a a weird, and this is just like a superhero thing. Like it it is not specific to this movie at all. Mm-hmm. This is just something. Uh, like, it, the Atom never shares his size-changing technology with the rest of the Justice League for no yeah. real reason. So let's let's establish, so the, kind of... let's establish the important things that are happening here. Hero is a 14-year-old delinquent. He has an older brother um, who is, what's his name? Uh, Tadashi. Uh, he has an older brother who is at... that Ant-Man should share the quantum technology with Tony Stark, no, no, and he... Tony Stark should share his suit technology with Ant-Man so that they're both, like... Like Iron, Iron, Iron Ant-Man? 
Um, okay. Iron so, Ant Man and Ant Iron Man. So the the two brothers are living in the city of San Francisco, um, a weird hybrid ants. city of San Francisco and Tokyo. Um, I mean, like with a name like that, it's not a weird hybrid city of uh, San Francisco and Beijing. Um, so the um, they're living in this city. Uh, Tadashi is a student at, like, yeah, basically Science University. And uh, he takes here to see his lab, and we meet, like, the motley assortment of grad student and postdoc lab mates that populate this lab, all of whom are super geniuses in their own right, including a guy who strapped hover boots to a cat and made him float. And I wanted to know that that cat's story. We can address this question later. That that was a Big Hero 6 character, and they were actually originally going to have him be a character in the show and then they just like could not bring themselves to put the cat in danger so they Aww. just made him into a background carrier character derek you were gonna say something about grad i was students. gonna say we, we can address this later but are they grad students or co- like the film seems vague on their status educationally yeah, yeah that's fair well they they seem to drop out of college when the college blows up so I don't there know if it can really count anymore. Well, the fact that they have their own individual projects in a technology lab. By yes. the way, what they do is really engineering. Yeah. I mean, it's not really it's not like scientific. It's own glosses over this, but yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they're in the science building from well, this... Spider-Man uh, One, right? The well, science building, uh, yeah. yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, at, I, yeah, there's Columbia. there's a world. Yeah. There's you know there's a. a the, the most common sort of analog to the real world is that, yeah, they would be like graduate students working on lab projects. But the yeah. film seems to intimate that Hero is going to be like joining them as an undergraduate. And so is it's it kind of possible yeah. that the people who made this film may not have gone to Science University and perhaps <laughs> went to a university <laughs> where one learned how to make animated films. Is I would also like to say that, that I private organization. Oh, that, uh, it's like a, a it's like a University of Phoenix kind where of thing. a 14-year-old boy who uh, has been gambling with tough types in an alley uh, <laughs> thrown can, into jail for it. Yes, can can walk into a building and give a TED talk uh, and then blow up that building and then still join those people. Hero did not blow up the building. <laughs> we don't know that. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I would also like to do. point out. I would like to point out that, yes, he, a building blew up. The entire college did not blow up. Yeah. So this movie does... Does the college exist outside that building? Do we know the that? The auditorium, the auditorium there blew yeah. up. So there is, um, the movie presents us with a choice uh, at one point, uh, very early on, about which of these characters is going to be the villain. And the two options are the sinister industrialist or the avuncular uh, lifelong academic. And so I could have been the dead brother. I, it could have been the dead brother. That's true. Uh, I I knew it was going to be the academic though as soon as I realized that he was voiced by Middlebury graduate or alum James Cromwell. Um, yeah, yeah. That's like even even yeah. casting Alan Tudyk in the other role, like you're tipping your hand there, movie. Yeah, the film I mean, is Alan not Tudyk, the film Alan is not good at playing that close to the vest well, at yeah, all. I, when I first watched this in the theater, it took me by surprise because I had just. I had forgotten about the professor because he was so unimportant to the beginning Ah. that when he was killed, in addition to the brother, all the mourning and conviction that the real death was, you know, for the brother, Mm -hmm. I just swept him under the rug. But the uh, the corporate guy, he didn't reappear either. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have that. It was him. You didn't recognize Zephyrin Cochran's voice. And so it didn't stick in your head. I think it. uh, 
Like I didn't, I I was also kind of caught off by the twist just because I didn't necessarily expect that this movie was going to be like I didn't expect the plot to be complicated enough for there to be a twist. Mm, uh, like the, the first time I watched it, and also to be fair, when I the first time I watched this, I was like falling asleep to it on an airplane, so I was perhaps not like the most, you know. Canny of uh, viewers. Fell asleep to it on the airplane, raves Nick Vester. <laughs> yeah. Can, uh, I actually, I think I saw this, like, the opening weekend or something. I saw it in theaters, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, see it in theaters. I but saw it in I, uh, Disney Studios. Oh. Yes, we know. Yes, we know, Pat. Mr. High Roller. Can, can we, is yeah. this an appropriate time to talk about how incredibly dark this film is? It's a very dark film. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. These children are chased by a super genius villain and who literally tries to murder them at every turn. Mm-hmm. A professor oh, no, trying the, to the kill his graduates to get ahead? Never. While, deal, while dealing the with complex issues about grief and, uh, and loss. Uh, in revenge. Urban, yeah. The, the scene where Baymax goes on a rampage is genuinely frightening. Oh, it's very Like, it, it is very scary, especially when afterwards, when Honey like manages to restore his consciousness mm-hmm. he literally says my health code pr- protocols have been violated and i'm like that was not just terrifying for the kids that was oh, terrifying for baymax mm-hmm. like that yeah. was very frightening scene so we, we yeah, like, I th- go ahead i was just gonna say like i well like maybe we'll get to this later i think i think like everybody forgives hero i think a little too uh quickly like that sort of moment of darkness i think like when he by wants to murder a- this man <laughs> Yeah, I just feel like he, like, I feel like there need to be a little bit more development there, uh, personally. But yeah, no, I mean, certainly it goes into some interesting dark places, and, like, it's, it's a, it's a more complicated movie than I expected it to be. Yeah, I, yeah. I, so we've got the, um, dude, your summary was spot on and detailed, but I do want to touch on a couple of things that you, you may have lost the page for. Uh, kind of peter out there for the second half of the film. <laughs> so... All of these... No, I think you covered it all. All right. Uh, good good time, guy. Oh, there was I'll a story and some there kind of black hole. Uh, yeah, there yeah, was, there was, was Dor- sure. Dormammu's uh, realm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was also the quantum realm or the uh, the ghost world from the new uh, Ghostbusters. From you Ghost know, when world. all of them go over into death or something for, for some reason. Something happens. I don't yeah, know. You got to well, leave I... our dimension. So there is... Um, okay. So we have mentioned these students of indeterminate level and autonomy, um, and th- they are they are Gogo, uh, Wasabi, Honey Lemon, and uh, Fred is not a student. I guess he's the mascot. I think he says. Uh, um, yes. Oh, is he the the obviously American one? He's yeah. <laughs> the obviously American one. Sorry, uh, the obviously. Uh, he's the are only you one asking who's which character Fred is. <laughs> he is. Unambiguously white. He's T.J. Miller. He's T.J. Miller. T.J. Yes, Miller. He's, Miller. Yes. he's that. Yes. He's, he's former yes. former friend of the show and noted jackass T.J. Miller. <laughs> he was a friend of the show. Um, and we talked about him before. Okay. So in a positive light. No, we we hated him then too. We talked about him oh, okay. when we watched Dead. When I say yeah. American, I mean as opposed to uh, the kind of racially ambiguous other characters who are. I see this movie as the one that is made for international audiences. Uh, yeah. That's fair. Like yeah. most movies and, are nowadays. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just saw. I just saw uh, the new Hellboy, which is clearly made for international audiences. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, and while we're on, T.J. Miller is the only one that is obviously from America. Okay. Yeah. 
I mean, while we're on the subject of race, I remember when, like, the industrialist and the professor, like, first are, like, facing off. I expected there to be a reveal that, like, this was his younger brother or his son or something like that. And, like, something about their designs made it seem like there was probably a familial, familial connection there. But that appears to not have ever panned out. Uh, yeah, re- relative head. Like, if you're getting, fr- like, into f- the phrenology of it all, the relative head shapes of the two characters are I mean, yeah, like, I think that, like, they've got similar eyebrows. Like, I feel like they're they're not, like, they're not uncannily similar, but, like, they look enough alike that I figured, you know. Yeah. Just like that, Alan that, that, that was... looks like he could be James Cromwell's son. Um, yes. So the uh, we have these characters, and... That wouldn't be the worst casting. I could imagine that. Like, if, if I saw a movie with those two playing, like, father and son, I wouldn't go, well, this doesn't make any sense. I could buy it. Yeah. So we, we have this uh, these group of students who come together in support of uh, young Hero and Baymax, the inflatable balloon man, who Hero is bonding with as a surrogate for his dead brother. Uh, the Kabuki mask man, who ends up being the professor, is chasing them, and they decide, after retreating to Fred's uh, palatial estate, they decide to become superheroes to stop him, as you do. And so they all get powers, which they're all terrible at. Um, until they're not. Until they're not. That's exactly right. Um, what was I going to say? Well, I mean, we, I mean, we we haven't really talked about like, but each of them like is representative of like there's the things that they do yeah in the in the science lab so gogo's doing stuff with like anti and like anti-gravity maglev wheels so she gets wheels on her feet and can do like crazy crazy jet grind radio shit uh honey honey is the one who's the closest to her comic book thing because she does get like a purse that's I forget what the techno babble explanation for like what those like little orbs of goo are that she is producing uh, but she chemical. is able to like throw chemical a- alloys around and like make explosions. I'm and sorry, stuff. you you said uh, you said jet grind radio, and it totally threw me because I <laughs> I had to look up and like I I heard jet set radio, and it, it completely threw me. So I had to look up the localization. Sorry, continue. Yes, so it has since been renamed to Jet Set Radio, but in its original release on the Dreamcast, it was Jet Grind Radio. God. I don't remember the reasons for that. Though Jet Set Radio Future was what I think it was always called. Um, so yeah, uh, Wasabi. Wasabi has like a is like a laser grid is his research, and he gets like big laser claws that thankfully he never tragically cuts anybody with. It was real close. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for and. That. And Fred's an idiot and wants to be turned into a monster, so he gets like a like a kaiju mascot outfit that has like bouncy legs and fire. Yep. And is annoying all the time. Yep. Because yes, he's played by T.J. Miller. Accurate. Yeah, yeah. He he's a character played by T.J. Miller. He is far and away the worst part of this movie. And, and I mean, I think distractingly I think so. he's cast to be the annoying American trust fund yes. guy who I, is just wasting his time and talks about free food all the time. I thought about it when I was watching it, but he like in this uh, super-powered Scooby-Doo crew that we're watching, like he's obviously the Shaggy, but then I stopped and thought, like, this is a Scooby-Doo crew composed only of Shaggies and Velmas. There's no Fred, there's no Daphne, and there's no Scooby. It's like... Also, Stefan, that is very insulting to Shaggy. That's true. So, yeah. yeah, Casey yeah. Kasem, RSVP. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Shaggy is actually useful and can be helpful when the chips are down. Mm. Yeah, and it wasn't me. It's a not great such a fucking song. <laughs> it's a great song. It's a great song. Also, yep. Angel was really good. Like he had two great hits. Oh. 
bring it back together. Um, okay, so they are superpowers now, or superheroes now. They're trying to track down the old man, played by Middlebury alum James Cromwell. Um, they turned Baymax into a massive HIPAA violation. He <laughs> can uh, <laughs> scan all of San Francisco uh, and gather the all of the health data for the entire population. No one considers the regulatory or privacy implications <laughs> of Baymax. Vamex operates operates with autonomy, and operates with autonomy. He operates with autonomy. <laughs> he is not disoperate with autonomy. Funnily enough, but it's yes. neither here nor there. Um, okay, so they uh, they track down the old man. The, the, what they find out is this is a a third act plot twist uh, coupled with a third act introduction of plot elements that had not previously <laughs> existed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the professor's entire motivation is revealed in a video that they find, like a really well-edited video of security camera footage, mm-hmm. in which we find out that his daughter was a... Abigail. Abigail. Uh, was a uh, test pilot for a trans-dimensional... Uh, uh, whatever... Hole in the it's sky. A stargate. It's a stargate. It's a stargate. It's a hole in the sky. with a G in it. Yeah. Because I feel like that's an unnatural spelling of These Calican. things never go well, by G- the way. Yeah, uh, yeah the, G, <laughs> the G in Calgan, yeah. Calgan! You're a loose cannon, Calgan! Um, so the, um... I'm trying to eat lunch here. <laughs> I can't avenge my partner's death with his pea shooter. So they, uh, yeah, so uh, bottom line is Callahan's daughter was lost in the Stargate, and he... Blamed uh, Alistair Cray, the industrialist, for it, and decided to use uh, heroes microbots to get his revenge on Cray. Uh, yada yada yada, big climax. Uh, they save Callahan's daughter from the Stargate. Callahan gets arrested. Uh, everyone's fine. Uh, Baymax gets destroyed, but his uh, CPU gets preserved. Hero rebuilds him. Give him a great big hug. They're superheroes now, Yay. and they spin off into a uh, Disney television series, which this felt like a pilot for. Yeah. The end. In some ways, yes. Despite the, the fact that Baymax yeah, could do series. infinitely more good as the healthcare provider that he's designed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start building a lot of Baymaxes. Like, the the, the, the untold, like, again, th- there are two earth-shaking inventions in this film. One is the most sophisticated healthcare uh, mm-hmm. provider in existence, which can apparently mm-hmm. be built at a level of cost that can be managed by a small child in a working class family uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, the robots that can build and construct and reconstruct anything, which can also be built on that same budget. Also, interestingly, I would uh, also say this older brother created this prototype in his lab, brought the only prototype home, shared it with his brother and then left it there. And no one, was no one tracked this project at any point outside of this bedroom. Do you think that a subplot of the animated series is who owns the intellectual property rights to Baymax? Probably not. I, I think I've learned the university. Uh, robot detective the, the, the uh, series, who's currently looking way, for Baymax. The series, by the way, features almost entirely the original cast. The only people who have changed are... T.J. Miller. Um, T.J. Miller, for obvious reasons. Um, God. Disney legends yeah. T.J. Miller. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, notably, and see if you can follow me on this one, uh, he's a jackass. And Damon Wayans Jr., who plays Wasabi, oh, was replaced. He's doing other things, yeah. Yeah, he was replaced with Carrie Payton, who you probably better know as Cyborg. 
Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I would also a solid book voice actor. Yeah. I would also probably argue that uh, Gilgo's research in uh, maglev technologies could probably potentially be pretty fucking earth shattering. So she's using she's using it she's using it to make like a, a yeah. Um, the stuff that they made it, is pretty. Probably, if, probably if I understood what Honeys did better, I might uh, feel that way. Uh, Wasabi's just is making like a weird laser grid that I don't really know what the practical applications for would be. But he cuts through a door like it's butter. It's he made a lightsaber. Are you kidding? By, me? by the way, I I love the fact one of my favorite bits in this movie is when he's cutting through the door and he can't actually make a circle. Oh yeah, that's great. That was like the most <laughs> and he's not just cutting the actual door the movie shape. Where I'm like, yeah, no, I couldn't do that either. I I'd be like, oh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, no, that's a nice uh, uh, that's a nice detail. Yeah. By the way, um. Honey Lemon, I can tell you, it was, uh, it is is based off of somebody who came to, who worked in a food truck who frequently came to the Disney lot. Uh, it's in not the sense an abandoned that, uh, name for a Bond girl? No, in the, sen- in the sense that, like, you can't tell what her fucking ethnicity is. Like, she's played by a Latina, and she yeah, is often listening right? to Spanish like but yeah, but she's off, she'll often say Hiro's name extremely Japanese, an extreme Japanese accent. Like, Everyone else just calls him Hero. She calls him Hero. Yeah. Yeah, um, I never I, yeah, I've noticed that. Like, yeah, she uh but she does that for some other words. Like she says photo that way too at one yeah, point. Yeah, some people she, just will take on the affectation of like the, the native pronunciation. Like, have you ever known someone who insists on pronouncing it karate or every single or, time? Or Doritos? Or or, or cannot say who can't say spaghetti, but must say say spaghetti. Spaghetti. That's me. It's cut. Okay. I mean, I mean if, if, if we're done with the plot summary, I want I want to say one more thing yeah, before you go on, Derek, because there is something about the plot summary that is not about the plot summary, but tangential to what was just said. Uh, you mentioned Honey Lemon being the abandoned name of a Bond girl. A couple nights ago, mm-hmm. we watched as part of our DS9, uh, my rewatch and Cynthia's first watch. We watched Our Man Bashir, and does anyone oh, does anyone shit. remember the name of Bashir's assistant in that episode? His Bond girl. I assistant? do not. What is it? Oh, Mona loves it. Mona loves it, right? <laughs> oh, wow. right. Good guy. I, I, I didn't. I, I remember. I remember that Cisco's villain is Hippocrates Noah. Though. Hippocrates I Noah. love. I oh, love so much about Hippocrates Noah. Noah. I think my favorite yeah. part is where he's just staring and then suddenly goes. Ha! My favorite part <laughs> is that he's played by Avery Brooks. Oh yeah, and Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks in universe as Ben Cisco is just like I'm gonna chew this scenery up. I'm gonna be the bondiest Bond villain ever. <laughs> yeah. More I love that More. Ah, rah, rah, rah. I would like to say that every time they say Baymax, what I hear is Betamax. <laughs> I was, I would, yeah, I was when I was thinking about before I got lazy and just settled on Big Hero One, Big Hero Two for the introduction of the show. Yeah. I was thinking about naming all of us after uh, the loser in Media Wars. So one of you would have been HD DVD. Um, you know, yeah. I've heard that Betamax is actually a superior format. Oh, yeah, and, and that it that VHS won out by a quirk of something or other, but I, you know, that's not based on anything. It ain't, it ain't superior heard. if you want to record a feature film. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. VHS was had much longer takes. Oh, okay. Anywho, yeah. Derek, you were going to say something But Betamax was a major uh, format for like recording television. Like mm-hmm. a lot of like old television recordings are in Betamax. Hmm. Uh, I, I was going to say, um, I, I'm. Wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on whether whether you thought um, San Francisco kind of as a place was somewhat 
unsatisfying. Like I kind of, I kind of want to learn. You mean like to when learn... it's all being destroyed at the end and there's no humans in the whole city? <laughs> they couldn't render yeah, well, I part of that. It but, doesn't. But I mean, I mean, because you know, we we were all talking about how you know these inventions are truly like world changing, and I think one yeah. of the reasons that this this place isn't maybe as satisfying as a kind of you know fictional reimagining of Tokyo slash San Francisco is that uh-huh. clearly this is. Uh, you know, the future sometime. But all of this incredibly advanced technology that these students are working on doesn't seem to have made it into, like, the real world of San Francisco. Like, people aren't going around on hover cars. Eric, I'm going to counter your point on that one because I do think this falls under superhero movie rules again. And and by that I mean the shit that that has been uncovered in the Marvel Cinematic Universe alone... When it, we should not be like looking at New York or seeing watching Spider Man or Daredevil or Agents of Shield and should look anything like it does. Just based yeah. on the shit Iron Man's come up alone. Right. And, but and it I doesn't mean, because we just know these are superhero rules and even though like all of the superheroes like are on first name basis with the leaders of several intergalactic empires, it doesn't appear that space travel is any more common. Two things though. No, no, number one, just as a point of continuity, I think that the the fiction of the story is that it's actually set basically in modern day, but the, the, um, the San Francisco was destroyed in the earthquake in 1906 and that uh, Japanese immigrants led the way in rebuilding it. That was the fiction. Yes. But uh, oh, okay. I agree in the sense that San like when, when you, the opening shot of the film is a big sweeping shot of San Francisco coming in over the ferry building of San Francisco and kind of giving you this view. And you think from that shot that this is going to be a story in which the city is a character, and the city is never a character. Yeah. I, I agree and, that and does bug me. And, and I say there's a writer. I'm sorry, I keep I keep talking over you, Derek. Um, uh, I, I I will say my thing, then I'll shut up. Um, as someone, as a writer who for whom sense of place is a really major part of what I do, that does. I actually, I, let me be clear here. I really like this movie. I love this movie. This movie is so much fun. It, 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 this is more of a, a like, I, I'm just slightly disappointed. I would have loved to see the the yeah. the location be more prevalent than I feel like it is. Just because you're you're right, Stephanie. It does start with this great sweeping shot of like, yeah. oh, okay, this is going to be about this place, but yeah. it's not about this place. And, and what, uh, one one sense in which I do I do think it's a little bit different from sort of the rules of like the MCU is that I I can kind of accept that, you know, the technology that the Avengers use, you know, hasn't gone out into the, you know, the everyday world because they're the Avengers. They're an elite kind of crew. (laughs) Whereas here it's, it seems like, okay, there's everyday like research going on, on like maglevs and Mm -hmm. nanites. And it just like, it just seems like, there, there, there could be more touches of that futurism. Nick Bester looks like he's space. about to pop. I gotta hear what he has yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's, it's especially hard because I can't see you. So like I have to wait to see if anybody like is finished talking, and in that and in that time somebody else starts talking. Um, just but, like, hit your little Pokemon that you bought to give us uh, yeah. an indicator. That... So just when I need to talk, you hear Ludicolo. Um, yeah, exactly. No, I, what, what I was thinking is, uh, I mean, somebody I think Derek earlier described as like an amalgamation of Tokyo and San Francisco. I think one of the things that makes it disappointing is that there's not a lot of Tokyo. It's a here. lot of San Francisco. It's yeah. a lot of San Francisco and a lot of sort of generic, like, orientalist signifiers of Japanese-ness. That's, that's true. Well, but, like, there's nothing here. I see this as a, yeah. uh, it's it's essentially a love letter to the American 
impression of post-war tech-focused Japan. Yeah, that's like true. the America, the influence that America had in rebuilding Japan after America destroyed Japan, uh, and how that has influenced is, the the that, tech market yeah. and is electronics that why in the general. End of the film had that weird car that was like in memory of General Joseph uh, MacArthur. Question for you guys. Would uh, this film I, would it have worked better if they had just dropped the Okio part and just said this was San Francisco? Is there well, anything ooh. about the film that requires it? Because like the closest yeah. thing that I can say that is required about it is that our heroes are biracial of Japanese descent. But I'm gonna go out on a limb here and guess uh People of biracial Japanese people descent exist in San Francisco. Can I interrupt? Interrupt. I, I need. I need to interrupt real quick because if, if I if I don't say this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate myself. I said Joseph MacArthur instead of Douglas MacArthur. Sorry. Okay. I mean, on a like on a very cynical level, I feel like the fact that it's a fictional city. Yes. Like I, I, if it weren't a fictional city, I think they would get a, a lot more is, complaints of, of this is unrealistically diverse, which is bullshit, obviously. But like, I think a lot of people would go like, oh, that's, that's bullshit. America's white people. Uh, but like, when it's not, when it's like just this vague sort of semi-futuristic, obviously combine of famous American city, famous uh, Japanese city, is like, oh, we've got uh, Asian-made characters. Yeah, sure, whatever. I feel like we're discussing this on all the yardsticks and measurements that we use for our standard films, some of which are well-made and high-budget, and some of them are terrible and high-budget, and some of them are great and low-budget. Uh, but but this none is that a are children's and movie budget. and animated. <laughs> and I feel like it's much more meant to evoke a fictional world that is about the imagination and what children are capable of and how it doesn't matter if both of your parents are killed and then also your brother, who is your father figure, are killed and also his professor and also the building uh, and also your entire invention uh, and also you're not allowed to uh, gamble with uh, rough, tough types in back alleys anymore. Don't matter uh, as long as you got a big marshmallow I, I and give you a hug. Dude. Yes, uh, I but do... I will say that I, I'm very annoyed by the name San Francisco because... <laughs> They had the perfect portmanteau, Japan Frisco, sitting right there, oh, and they did not use it because it sounds terrible, but it works so much better as a portmanteau. But San Francisco puts the American part first, and so the Japanese part feels like an afterthought. I'm going to say that I totally see where Dude is coming from in the first part of that Which is statement. why Patrick has written a spec script set in the city of Japangelus. Okay. <laughs> At least Japangelus doesn't like put the emphasis on the syllable in such a way that it absolutely is the slur. Wait, what slur? Anyway, <laughs> the the World War II era slur for the Japanese. Japan Frisco. That sounds Just like take out the food. Rest- I'm gonna keep drinking let's, this beer. Let's move on. I th- I thought I, think, I just I read this point original, original thing. This this point but about also it with being the an phrase, anim- with the with the partial word Frisco, which nobody ever wants to use. No one in San Francisco wants it to be called that. Nope. Only in old timey movies what? is it called Frisco. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're using Skype. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Anyway, anyway, this. this yeah, point I didn't want to it. say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just using the full word Japan. Go, Derek. I know, but like this point about it being an animated film. 
I would, I, you know, like I, I agree to a certain extent, dude. I mean, the, this is this is a children's film, and you know, it's it's important to remember that. But a children's film in, in looking ripe with murder. <laughs> well, you so know, Disney, Disney films have actually a lot of that. Oh yeah, a lot oh of, yeah, a I mean, lot that's of, all the, the parents. I mean, Frozen. The parent. Um, it's it's not a Disney film if some parents don't die. No, I parents. mean, there's a lot of attempted murders, but like. I mean, you could make the argument that the professor is, like, negligent in the death of Tadashi, but I don't think anyone is actually murdered in this movie. Well, so they've created this—the This, this the first invention is the protective—is uh, is the big marshmallow man who protects yeah. and heals from everything. And with that all-encompassing healing factor, they can raise the risk factor infinitely because the danger is reduced dramatically. So there's the threat of danger can be infinite, but the actual danger is reduced significantly, right? Because he's always got this thing with him that will protect him. Hmm. Yes. I think uh, that's one reason that it's so dark, because they, they oh, yeah, introduced the, uh, the, the healing safe bot in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the... the I mean... I, they do turn the healing... The, the scariest part of the movie is when they turn the healing bot... Off into a fighting sense. into a fighting machine, and that's that. It, like I literally, I was looking over that. That scene looks like the. It, it literally there's a part where I think Gogo is running from Baymax that is shot like when oh, in Black Widow, oh, yeah. not just a horror movie, yeah. but when Black Widow was running from the Hulk in the first Avengers film. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's definitely yeah. a call when he's got there. the red eyes. Yeah, yeah, like and and like yeah. that, that that to me is sort of like this moment of like Baymax is. You really start to realize that if you wanted to be, Baymax is kind of an unstoppable force. He oh, can yeah. lift a thousand pounds. None of these other characters. Both of these are... robots are unstoppable forces. Yeah, like I mean, if if you the nanite technology is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying like, to figure out who the other robot was. It presages like, was a world in which the robots take over. Was Fred a robot? No, both <laughs> brothers invent a terrifying, world-changing technology. Oh yeah, yeah. Either for good or evil, based entirely on its users' intentions. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to stray from your point. No, you're fine. Uh, I was gonna say, can we talk a little bit about Baymax uh, himself as a character? And, yeah, let's know, do that. Yeah, I was really hoping we could do that because I think played sorry, by ahead, Thirty Rock Scott Atzit. Yeah, right. I wanted to mention um, that. There's, um, you know, one of the things uh, that I think is really compelling about the design of this character is, you know, obviously the choice to make him uh, inflatable. I mean, he's an inflatable medical robot. Yes. Um, and beyond the sort of humor that they they get out of that, um, it, in some ways it actually made me think of like classical animation be mm. because formless um, rubber way, hose. Well, actually, kind of the opposite of rubber hose mm. because, like, when you talk about rubber hose, you're talking about like. 20s animation where um, yeah. characters don't really oh, have boy. very well articul articulated limbs. Mm. I mean, that, that basically the connection between body mm -hmm. and limbs is is a line, and frame to frame, that line is kind of drawn inconsistently, and so you mm. get this wavy, wacky, ar armed, inflatable, you know, uh, yeah. noodle mm. guy look. Whereas with Baymax, the, the way that he is animated reminded me a lot more of like squash and stretch, mm. like Disney style from the thirties, like you see in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, where there's a palpable sense of mass to his character. And I think the fact that he is like inflatable inflatable and the fact that um, you know, the way he is animated in in a, you know, sort of in the sort of photorealistic style that's prevalent today, 
it has there's a real sense of like his volume is conserved mm. um and that and that's something that like animators in the 1930s were interested in and it's sort of a classic like disney look and so i think it i think it's interesting that they're they're kind of you know they're clearly kind of reaching back into that tradition with him as a as a character and you know play, playing around with like the humor of that like what happens when baymax gets deflated um, so. oh yeah when he's drunk or no, uh, sorry, he gets baby. drunk when his battery runs down. Hairy baby. So yeah, there's um, that's that's an interesting point. I I hadn't really thought of it, but I mean, again, if you think about so Baymax as a comic character, loose adaptation. Baymax in the comics has two forms. Like one is kind of a humanoid, and then the other is a monstrous dragon man. Um, like he's he's a shrunken down Fin Fang Foom. Um, and so th- this is a this is a character. Holy shit. Are you looking at him? I just looked. I'm looking at him. Like, yeah, no, that's accurate. Yeah, he is a Fen Fang Foom. Um, so he is uh, this character design, you know, came for this film. Um, and I, I don't know what the the choice in adaptation was. Was it like they started off with a dragon and they're like, oh, that's not going to be a great medical robot, and, and worked down from there. Although, imagine <laughs> the version of the film where the medical robot was a horrifying <laughs> dragon. Um, I mean, I already feel like uh, Tadashi's like justifications for why it's a giant marshmallow man are kind of a little iffy. Yeah, like it's just sort of it's a cool design. For, go with it. But like, imagine well, him trying to justify. Was like, well, I made a dragon because dragons are the most medically sound animal. <laughs> well, I feel like it's it's sort of People self-evident why it would him. be a big uh, a big fluffy like marshmallow so man you can figure sell because the he's toys. ultimately non-threatening and yeah. it's supposed to be a healing bot mm-hmm. there's and actually they Sorry. they all of the the characters that inter- interact with it give it positive reviews there's absolutely nothing that this character cannot do to heal someone as long as someone actually explicates what it is they are going through all they have to do is say out loud what their problem is which i think is where this film is very successful as a children's film because it you know it's uh, like many Disney films, Inside Out is a great example. It gives children a language to talk about, you know, many of the things that kids go through: trauma, loss, death, uh, having their yeah, and, and also brother and professor killed in a also, giant fire. But it's also I, I'm sorry. That... The... Go ahead, Patrick. Sorry, just, the, the other thing to add is that this was actually this was a real thing. Like when the time when Baymax is. Uh, 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 was being designed, there was actual talk of the idea of medical robots being inflatable in the same way. Oh yeah, like because, in the movie Robot and Fred. Um, spe- well, yeah, specifically because what you know Robot for Frank, robots. I'm sorry, for robots to be able to like um, touch and like pick up, you know, they they didn't want like actual metal on yeah. on older people who or people who are injured because they could bruise, be too easy. Mm. It could easily bruise them. Um, but an inflatable arm was much would be much more softer. So like this is actually based on real was based oh, like on how real airbags potential. can't injure you. Yeah, it, it was based on real potential design principles. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I was also gonna say like I think a nice sort of thing that the movie does is like uh, because of sort of the the clinical way that Baymax sees the world, the way that he interacts with Hero, it's showing that like there's a like a neurochemical basis to emotions. So that like I th- at least I think I see that as being like very validating of these kinds of emotions. Like mm-hmm. he he feels bad because grief has physically changed how his yeah. body works. It's not mm-hmm. just sort of a like you know uh, uh, you know buck up, uh, get over it, stop being sad. It's sort of about like there is a 
there is a process to mm-hmm. feeling better, and that involves being around uh, being around the people that you're with and finding ways to get that sort of level of catharsis. And I don't feelings. Yeah, acknowledging feelings and like, yeah, I think all of those are like really important. Yeah. Possibly murdering for, ch- for children, but also just for everybody. I think you know, I think lots of lots of adults could stand to you know better understand that like you know, emotional intelligence. Yeah, emotional intelligence that like depression is a is a physiological mm-hmm. process. It's not just oh, I'm kind of sad. Mm-hmm. No, I think um, I, if you know one. I, I, one thing I actually almost wish this movie could do more of is I would like to see more of Aunt Cass's grief. Mm. As sort of like, yeah, because like right, right now true. we have like we, we, we get we, nothing we of like her. A, we kind of have a binary version of, of grief. We, we All see of these hero characters Ruth. really only exist as like you know superficial drawings. Yeah, the, except the, for the main character. The only thing yeah. I know of Aunt Cass yeah. is that she has a cat. She's voiced by Maya Rudolph, and she likes hot chicken wings. Did you guys feel like the cop that he talks to was deliberately doing an impression of Larry Hankin in Home Alone? <laughs> is this another Who is case Larry of Hankin? Uh, reckless speaking, reckless uh, listening? When, when Kevin calls the police, or when uh, the, the parents call the police, and mm. Larry Hankin is the, the cop that answers the phone in Chicago, and he's, he's just like kind of deadpan, years. like, let me get this straight. You want oh, us yeah, to that... go to the he's house. Eating, he's eating the donut. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had to look up who Larry Hankin is. And yeah, as soon as I was like, oh, yeah, of course, Larry Hankin. Yeah. For uh, some reason, when I, when I, I, I think that's, uh, uh, playing Sergeant Bullsack, a guy, by guy the named way, Dan Gerson, who, who is basically a, you know, he's a, yeah. oh, he's also a screenwriter, but he's, he's done voice acting for a bunch of Pixar and, yeah. and Disney production. That's not but I, I felt like he actually, the, the he actually made me think of Richard Kind for some Hankin. reason. The, the way he would, like, the visual design of the character actually did have Richard Kind vibes to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It didn't sound like Richard Kind. No, Richard it was Kine not Richard Kind. As a very specific uh, voice. But yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Like, yeah, that looks a bit like Richard Kind. I just opened yeah, up no, no, no. My, uh, my browser because I've been going back and forth to the Big Hero 6 Wikipedia entry. And the three tabs I realize I ho- have open are one is Big Hero 6, the film. One is Our Man Bashir, the DS9 episode, which I looked at to remember the name Mona Loves It. And then the third one is the uh, Sega Dreamcast game Samba de Amigo, which I'm struggling to remember why I pulled that one up, but it's there. That's Parappa. Uh, because Parappa of Jack the, that's, probably one from Jack Grind Radio. Yep, that's Parappa the Rapper, but with a Latinx uh, monkey. It, it no, also Ludacolo might have possibly brought it up. The most unexpected and unusual peripherals of any game ever. Are you sure yep. that thing's not haunted? Could that have been the cause of our podcast? Oh, God. In, like, three years when the batteries are dying, and I just go... There's something really wrong with my Malibu, Stacey. My spider sense is tingling. Did somebody call uh, that slinger? Speaking of the casting of this film... Yes. uh, (laughs) Speaking of not the thing we were talking about? Exactly. Moving on. Uh... Uh, my my favorite bit of casting here is that the the newscaster uh, who uh, you know relates that you know the five unknown heroes save save mm. the city. Uh, do any of you know who that was? I know the story of this, but I do not know who the uh, the actor. That knows. was one oh. Billy Bush. That oh, Billy shit. Bush of oh, Access geez. Hollywood fame. Oh wow! Oh wow! My oh, brain. Wow. Uh, you said Billy Bush, and I got tripped 
up because I was thinking of the last name of another former president, and I thought the guy behind Billy Beer. <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that Samba de Amigo oh, had a format a part as time. well. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how it registered where the movement was. Yeah, no, yeah, it's got like a like a dance dance revolution mat involved too. I just thought I just thought mm-hmm. it was the maracas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the sensor, wasn't it? Or what, did you step on the I think you stepped, you stepped well, on the yeah, no, the sensor was a big thing you had to put around the TV, wasn't it? Yeah, it looks like it looks like it goes like at the foot of the uh, of the mat, I don't. The mat might not actually have any have, like, like sensory bit in it. it. Might just be a. But yeah, there's definitely is kind of a wee uh, like a wee kind of... I'm sorry for bringing up someday, amigo. Stefan, you wanted to say. <laughs> How dare you bring up a Dreamcast game? You know I'm going to talk about it. Go ahead. You Derek. wanted to say something about Scott Adsit as uh, Baymax? <laughs> yeah, I just remember because my my impression of Scott Adsit uh, is and always will be Pete from Thirty Rock. That was a weird way of saying that. Hornberger. 30 Rock. <laughs> 30 Rock. Derek, you moderate a lot of discussion sections for students, don't you? <laughs> I just realized that's what you're very good at in this podcast, yeah, is sitting back quietly while the rest of us sort of argue and snipe Talk and nonsense. get sidetracked by each other. <laughs> and you will gently try to guide us back to uh, the you know the yeah. topic at hand. Kids, <laughs> shut up for a moment, let me tell you. <laughs> no, uh, no my, my, my point about Scott Adsit was the impression I will always have of Scott Adsit is as Pete, this, this broken down, like, shattered man on 30 Rock. Um, and oh, yeah. I, I remember... Like, this film came out in 2014, and the idea of Scott Adsit being a lovable figure in a children's film was incomprehensible to me. And what amazed me when listening to the film is, like, it is it is Scott Adsit's voice. He's not, like, doing a voice, but at no point does he feel like Scott Adsit as I'm watching it. Like, it, it feels like he is stretching his range in this in a way that I did not expect from Scott Adsit voicing an inflatable marshmallow man. I mean, yeah, no, I had a similar thing. Like, I did not know it was Scott Adsit the first time I watched it and was surprised when I saw that in the credits. And then, like, watching it last night, I'm like, I'm going to listen and see if I can hear that it's Scott Adsit. And, like, I can tell it's Scott Adsit. But, yeah, it's definitely not Horn- It's not Pete Hornberger. It's, no, I, it's I definitely... Say... I'm sorry, Nick. Okay. Oh, I just, I just, I, I, <laughs> just wanted to apologize <laughs> to you. You're forgiven? I, I interrupted you. That was rude. Oh no, I was done. We're having oh, okay. cell phone delay. Okay, that's the problem. I thought. Do you guys understand why I thought you were talking about cell phones as opposed to landlines? Are you going through it's a tunnel? Because there is a delay that we do not understand is there, so we all end up starting talking and and talking over each other at the exact same time. What I, I was thought, going to say. I thought then. he was about to like like completely destroy my point. I was like, I'm sorry, Nick, but he absolutely is Pete Hornberger. What are you fucking talking about? Anyway, go ahead, Patrick. Anyway, what I was saying was, um, Scott Adsit actually think is doing the best uh, performance here, just because he's doing that sort of really hard trick that um, weirdly Arnold Schwarzenegger does a good job of in Terminator Two of not of of conveying emotion while having absolutely no inflection or emotion in his performance whatsoever. Hmm. He wants the dolls because he wants to look up their dresses. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck that Terminator Two or Kindergarten okay. Cop. I can't um, remember. It's not the Duma. Yes. Uh, anyway, um, no, it, it, and that, the, the performances, sure, existence aside, are very solid in this film. Um, and even like 
even sort of the basic characters. Like, um, I mean, Aunt Cass is Aunt Cass is a very sort of Aunt May style character. She doesn't have a lot to do in this film, but you know, it's Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph really does imbue her with like a lot of life, mm-hmm. and she feels alive even though her character she doesn't have a lot to do. Like the whole Did bit she have, about like, three happiness. lines in this movie. She does, but like, like she makes him stick. One of them's about an eighty-year-old woman wearing clothes that an eighty-year-old woman shouldn't wear, and that know, that, a, that usually cracks him up. I'm trying to I remember when I turned around how it's going to make him yeah. poop. I'm trying to remember when <laughs> I turned around on Maya Rudolph because when Maya Rudolph was on SNL, I thought she was incredibly not funny, and now I view her with like a degree of affection. And when she shows up in things, I'm happy to see her in them. I just I think I think she was very frequently wasted in SNL. I don't think SNL was a good. You mean she was drunk on set? She was messed up. <laughs> no, I just I just don't think that like she's she's had a lot of great material since SNL. Yeah. I'm I don't think that like she SNL like despite how successful she has been as an SNL alum, I don't think SNL was a good representation of her talent. Kind of like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, what else do we Robert have to say about this? He was on SNL. Yeah, he was for like a year. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was in that really weird year with him and Anthony Michael Hall. Is that Patrick Dunn froze up? This movie, I think, is that. Oh, can you hear me now? I can. Hi. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were just so stunned by the idea of Anthony Michael Hall being on Saturday Night Live that you just stopped talking. But he's not. It was pretty funny. stunning. I, I can't lie. I, I was about to say. I think the thing about this movie is that. It is a solid film. Like it's not. Yeah. We I've I've noticed one th- something about this. We talk the most when we either have a really bad film. So we've talked. Mm. We talked at great length about say, Rise of the Silver Surfer. We did talk uh, almost nothing about Thor: The Dark World. We spent a I lot of time on that podcast talking about Billy Barty. To say about yeah. that. <laughs> I wasn't there, so I don't know that. So um, I'm gonna go look up Billy Barty. Anyway, yeah, let's, wait, uh, let's the, see if this Wikipedia no. pictures change. We also tend to talk a, talk a lot if anyone mentions the Dreamcast. <laughs> uh, I never owned or played one. Yes, it is not his. It is not his lead image. Weirdly, he does not have one. But if you scroll down, the only image on Billy Barty's yeah. uh, Wikipedia page is still him from Sigmund and Sigmund. the Sea Monsters. Good. It's the party um, was this, born to play. I, I like just Do you guys think that it's possible movie? to listen to this podcast without being near an internet connection? I don't think it's you possible. You can look up every single one of these stupid references. I don't think it's possible to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I definitely. I don't. I don't think of this as a product that we are putting out for other people to listen to. <laughs> I think you. of this as Thank a. I think of this is actively used for us to talk. Yeah, this is actively yeah. listener hostile. Like anyone who yeah, has like stuck this... with us, like I'm pretty okay. So I'm I'm gonna yeah. One name that I can think of who is probably listening to this, Justin. If you're out there, congrats on sticking it through, buddy. You you've made it. Aaron, from I know one. that you like me, but but you don't need to listen to this. You really don't. You're. I don't think you guys. We're already in a relationship. It's fine. To fit in all the hours of all the podcasts that we've recorded, because each one of these is like a thousand hours long, and we've done like a thousand episodes. Yeah, my wife only listens to this when she sits on the couch while I am recording it and hears my side of the conversation. I mean, I think the only time I've listened to it is I listened to the. the first uh, Howard the Duck episode in preparation for the second time we recorded Howard the Duck. And I think at some point I listened to the part where we pitched ideas for new movies starring Man-Thing. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. So that I'm not on, just so I can. I missed feel... the games portion of this. I, I I I listen to episodes that I'm not on because it makes me feel more connected to you guys. Aww. I, I love you guys. Aww. Um, Aww. Me too. I wish I could I see you right now. Again. Let's talk about games. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Hang on. Is it, but like seriously, this is a solid film, and it's taking. Oh, it's amazing. It's really good. It's film. a. It's a fun. It's a fun. I like it. And it does say some interesting things about grief. It is not as complex as some of the other movies we've watched, it's very because simple. it is a kids' film. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's a kids' film, and it's, it's also like guess. okay with that. Like it is not pretending to be. It has no aspirations to be any more than it is. It is a so, like, Disney film, except it does with, really want you to understand that the professor is a bad guy and the very, corporate guy very, is a good guy. Yeah, exactly. The, the big corporation in this is the hero. Yes. Um, and I, be- uh, I believe in the I mean, animated series. I mean, it's not a villain. I think in the animated series, he maybe becomes a benefactor of theirs. Yeah, he um, does. So this just—it feels like the most Disney of of all Marvel films. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is yeah. a Disney film with Marvel flavor. Yeah. It's not a Marvel yeah. film. Uh, Which is kind yeah. of, I think, the reason we 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 forgot about it was that you know it's it is it is a Disney film. This isn't a Marvel movie. It, it's also it is not as, a known Marvel. Property, yeah. you know, it's, right? It's like, like you know, what are you talking about? From... It had Silver Samurai, star of uh, Wolver- the Wolverine. Yeah. Did, does anyone I have think... any comments on Stanley's cameo? He wears him front, he uh, wears him back. He turns him, he him back. He he used, him back. It was a callback to one of the worst jokes in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I feel like I had. I feel like before we got on this tangent, I had something I wanted to add on to Stanley. Uh, no, it was before that. Can I, can I about, say my favorite and most quoted line from all of Chappelle's <laughs> show? This gets me through so many moments in, in pop culture. That it's, it's from the black and white sketch. It's when he rears his head back and says, Oh, Lord, this racism is killing me inside. I, that, I'd probably say that once a week. Okay. Well, you just said it this week, so that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right there. I probably did. <laughs> Yeah, I don't Sweet remember what I was going news. to say. Oh man, well, I I have I have conflicted Disney. feelings about this film. Okay, uh, I, I, Do I, tell. I totally I, I totally agree with you, Patrick. That um, considered purely like as a kids' movie, which it is. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember. And so, like, I try, I you know, I I try and put myself in in the space of like a nine year old who's watching this, and yeah, like it's it's a pretty solid film. But in my experience, like watching it as a thirty-something, um, I don't know. It just it, it there was something unfulfilling about it. I mean, I and I think part of it is there, are not necessarily narrative problems with the film, but it's it's narratively very kind of straightforward. Like even yeah. even the kind of turnabout, it was it was kind of spotlighted in such a way that. Oh, they're making a big deal about how um, the Alan Tudyk character, you know, is is evil and an overlord. They're clearly going to do like a reversal on this, it's, mm-hmm. and and so like none of the big reveals, like, and, and this is going to sound like you know uh, a self-aggrandizing thing to say, but like you know, in a children's film, but like none of the big reveals really surprised me. I get what you're saying. I watch because all of the challenges are emotional ones because it's written for, you know, about a character who has gone through a loss and cannot admit it or understand it or deal with it. And and, and so that that that's why I'm sort of conflicted about it, because like as a sort of complete product, 
mm-hmm. something is sort of missing from this mm-hmm. film. But like, yeah. I think all the best moments, you know, the the moments that involve Baymax primarily, mm-hmm. um, there. I mean, there's there's a real kind of emotional uh, connection and emotional work that this film really succeeds at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wish that that encompassed the the film in a more thoroughgoing way. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like even, once even the stuff, the even the stuff yeah. with, um, you know, the uh, the <laughs> death of um, of Tadashi, um, you know, that that's kind of the primary emotional arc. Um, I just felt like there was there was more to kind of be done with that in a, in a weird way. I don't I don't even have like a positive answer for like what that could be. Well, I feel like there was something there was something about the the narrative it, organization that you were doing that everything that, that you could part. everything that you could not to say Takahashi because then you were going to slink into your slip into your uh, werewolf hunter bit. That's good. <laughs> um uh, I had so ben, many Bester's things to say there, but Bester's been waiting. Hi there. I've got the. I have the Ludicolo up. I'm holding the conversational Ludicolo. No one else has one. We don't have a conk. It doesn't. But count. I can't. Not in the same room. But I can't see you, and I need to signal. Anyway, uh, I mean, I feel like I have a very similar response uh, to mm-hmm. Derek on this. Like, I think this is a really well-made film, but like, there are like children's movies that I find like still really affecting and i found myself really affecting like we've already yeah inside out like i watched i watched wreck it ralph like before this on the airplane when i watched this and like i thought wreck it ralph was a much better film you know i think frozen's very affecting um yeah anyway a bunch of like the recent more uh disney movies disney animated films i think have been really uh, really affecting, and this one, this one didn't necessarily like leave me feeling empty, but like it didn't feel as fulfilling as a lot of them. And I mean, I think what Derek was talking about kind of goes back to what I said earlier in terms of like you know, as you're exiting the second act, mm-hmm. going into the third act, there's there's usually this sort of this moment of darkness, and we definitely have that for um, for a hero. But uh, again, I feel like you know. And I understand that it's a kid's movie and we can't like dwell too much on like, I have to murder this man. That would be a weird thing. But like it gets resolved. It gets resolved so quickly. Like the other, like, I feel like maybe part of it is that the rest of the big hero six comes to hero that he doesn't have to go to them. Mm. So like, it just feels like he gets immediately forgiven the moment he has that sort of moment of seeing Tadashi's recording and going like, Oh, I'm the asshole. He doesn't even get to say, I'm sorry. They just hug him. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't. He doesn't get that, and I think that is. I think that's part. Yeah, I think that's exactly why. Uh, why it feels a little empty to me at that moment. Yeah, there isn't the moment of like he has to. Like there isn't a mea culpa there. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like if like a bunch of graduate students making a fourteen-year-old like apologize to them for being emotional, that's probably not the best look either. But. Like, in terms of sort of narrative... There's a way around that, I I do feel, and especially considering what Hero did in that moment was portrayed as so bad. Because it's not just that he tried to kill um, Callahan. He he set Baymax loose on his friends. He violated Baymax. Baymax 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 into a nightmare. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely a moral event horizon. Right, like, and, and I do kind of want to see... I don't know. I feel like there was a moment to have him actually talk with Aunt Cass in that moment. Like what mm. I would have, like what yeah. I would have done. Yes. That have that yeah. conversation. Good with him rewrite. And Aunt Cass. 
because that first of all that that kind of lets Cass and say it's like, you know, of course I miss him too. Like I raised both of you. I raised both of you. My boy is in the ground. Or maybe not to that degree, but like you know what I'm saying. I bore to dust. I write horror movies, okay, guys. Uh, no, that, that's uh, yeah. You want to talk about making this a darker film? Can you do, can you do but, a thinly veiled rewrite of this, where instead of Aunt Cass, it's Mama Cass, Mama and she's Cass. a zombie, and she comes back and just yells, "My boy is in the ground." No. No, okay. dear God, no, not over that whole thing we have to cut earlier. No, no, no. So um, imp important question <laughs> relevant to the side conversation that Dooge and I have been having one way in the chat. Um, uh, what year? About just, Three Ninjas? Just guess. The Bourbon Commando. What year was Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain made? Just just guess. Uh, uh, 1999. 2003. What are the guesses? 2003, Wait, what were the others? 2006. 1990. Okay. It's in the 2000s, I guarantee it. It's between 2000 and 2009. It, it is 1998, which is later yes. than I thought it was going to be. I, I was going to guess like 1992. Bring it for the win. And, and guess, I guess. Oh, you Hulkamaniacs, no. Guess what its box office gross was. $5. $10. $10 billion. <laughs> the highest uh, grossing a, film. Of no, 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 wait, wait. A gold farthing. <laughs> A gold farthing. $375,000. Happens! $75,000? $375,000. Holy oh. shit! That is bad. But Big Hero 6 what did was much the budget? Hulkamania. Hulkamania running wild. And see, the problem is in 1998, he was a villain. The comparison usually goes like this. is really great. This movie really sucked. This movie... It's got Lonnie Anderson in it. Lonnie Anderson in 1998. Uh, so Big Hero 6 made $657.8 million at the box office. Uh, so considerably more successful than Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Again, what are the budget? Like, it's possible that Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain was making a better percentage of its, of its budget. It was all shot in a weekend on a VHS. The, I, like, Hulk Hogan is not a man who is known for working on the cheap. I'm guessing that his salary was greater than the box office gross of that film. Well, it's not that hard to find out. You're just going to Google Hulk Hogan's uh, salary? Uh, Derek, I also felt like there was something kind of missing from this film and i feel like the Where's the budget the, the transition is when uh they put the armor onto baymax because then i i just felt like i didn't care about the character anymore for some reason he was he just yeah i mean it, it felt like he lost his characterization by losing that sort of fluffiness to him mm -hmm. um and as, basically as soon as the the main the main character started instilling his personality on his brother's robot. I thought that robot started to suck. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I can't find, like, at least the Wikipedia one. But apparently the budget for Three Ninjas Kickback was $20 million, which what? seems like way too much to give no, Three that, Ninjas that, Kickback. Well, Three that's Ninjas, the original one, was probably a surprising success. Oh, yeah, no, it was $6.5 million was the budget for Three Ninjas, the original alone. one. The video the store 20... made literally tens of dollars off of that VHS tape. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I, I I do agree that I think there's something not quite. You know, I I am tempted to lay this at the feet of T.J. Miller again. Um, we and, can't and blame him for everything. Like, we can blame him for I, a lot, but not everything. Here's why he sucks up a lot of air out of the room in that movie. I'm kidding. And it, it part of the thing is that the movie's 
the center, the center, you know, the center of the movie is should be grief, right? Like, you know, that's because it's not just that it's the family who's lost to Dashi. His friends have lost to Dashi as well. Mm. The problem is that, like, the best moment of Fred's expressing grief over it is the is the is the shot in their uh, home uh, when uh, Hero is like away from everybody and it's the wake. And I will point out that Fred is silent in that moment. That's Fred's best scene. Um, but like, I, I don't Fred's know. The is the best cast... scene. Fred's best moment is the scene where his voice actor doesn't participate. <laughs> T.J. Miller, everybody. Um, the, the, I do think that the... He sucks! The, the supporting cast could use a little more depth. And if, if I wanted anything, I would want that. Like, I do acknowledge that they're supporting cast members. It's a Disney film. It's a kid's movie. They can get away with being a little, yeah. a little lighter. But I, I feel like if, if you, what I would really like is a little more depth to the supporting cast. The I, I does like a really good job casting the primary roles, and frankly, a really good job casting the tertiary roles, but not a yeah. great job casting the secondary roles. Right, like well, casting in the sense that like uh, Maya Rudolph is playing the character well. She's just not; those characters are not given a lot of yeah. depth. Yeah, um, I would and, say and a little bit more. I don't think anything in this is given a lot of depth. I mean, Hero is basically a, a one note like I'm going to avoid my grief by I know, creating disagree. this thing. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. The except the exception I would say is the uh, I think that the relationship between Hero and Baymax is treated with, with a, a, a degree of depth and, and deftness that I would not have expected. I, I would agree with that. But I, well I guess what I'm trying to what I was trying to drive at is that I feel like this is in some ways peak I mean, it's all Disney now, so uh, the, all, all the Marvel movies seem to fit, you know, have to fit the Disney standards, I suppose. Uh, but I, I feel like this is peak, like, MCU, Marvel, the type of film that we've been reviewing for quite a while in terms of MCU, where uh, it, it feels vaguely formulaic. There's one thing that they really want to discuss, and then the rest of the movie is a whole lot of action, a whole lot of plot that they're cramming in. Uh, they, they have to get from place to place to place so many times that there's not much development going on outside of these are things happening and then here are some lines that are that are, are going to give us whatever version of char characterization we're going to allow for these I, side I, characters. I want to push back on that, though, dude, because it is possible to tell that kind of movie and give it more depth to the characters. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen it happen. I believe that. You know, and, and we will see it happen, I think, most notably in, in Ragnarok. Um, I, I and, feel like Ragnarok is is the the high watermark for a lot of things that that they're still working on at this yeah. point. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I I I mean I guess here's my question: What happens to this movie if you remove the gra other grad students entirely? Mm -hmm. um, and and like you know obviously it becomes big hero too, right? Like obviously there's like a few plot beats that you have to deal with, um, but like. You, you could write around it and just make this the emotional story of, of Hero at Baymax, and that, to me, is kind of a problem. Yeah. Because, like, the, the other mm -hmm. characters seem to just exist to promote plot and do gags, but they don't have as much of an emotional core. And I think... And the other thing I think to think about is that this is a team movie, right? Like, yeah. this isn't... Like, the, the other movies... The, like, team movies are, like, the X-Men movies, the Avengers movies, and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And those... And the Fantastic Four movies. Yeah. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, like, they don't... This doesn't feel like a team movie it feels like it's it's about hero um you know in the sense that like the guardians of the that? galaxy movies 
don't feel like the Peter Quill show. They really don't. No. Like, I, I, like I know he is sort of the leader, and so he's sort of the forefront character. And even in two, where it's much more two is very if, much if his either story. of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It is his story, but they still don't feel like the, it doesn't still feel like we're watching Star Lord and his buddies. Guardians of the Galaxy movies feel like team. Well, movies. that's because it's it's Rocket and his buddies. He's the the main character. He's the leader of the team. So. Oh, you mean Rocket Raccoon, played by Nick Bester's Nick favorite, Bester's favorite actor? Uh, isn't his name just actor? Rocket? He's not a raccoon. Bradley. Yeah, what the hell's a raccoon? No, um, um, I, I I I agree with you, Patrick. And like it's. Yeah, if you take the team out, it is Big Hero 2, and then it is, like, if you take the team out, it is the story of a 14-year-old boy utterly alone in the world, bonding with a toy to get over the grief of his brother's death, which might not have been the, the Disney family film that they wanted to sell. So, yeah. Uh, part- I don't know. That does That's sound like exactly a toy. the Disney family film that Disney That sounds like the plot to, to Toy sell. Story 5. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry, Stefan, your, your, your phrasing there reminded me of a description or two descriptions, actually, that I heard once uh, for Star Wars. Uh, one of them is that uh, Star Wars is a movie about a boy who gives a robot a bath. <laughs> and then the second one is that on. Star Wars is a movie. Star Wars is a movie about an old man that takes a boy to a bar. Yeah, that, that I've heard. And- uh, have you heard the classic description of uh, the Wizard of Oz as uh, a woman goes to a foreign country and kills the first stranger she meets? <laughs> right. yeah. So do we want to wrap up? Big yeah, Hero so 6. Gross. Yeah, so knock off that yeah. reason thought. We need to talk about stupid yeah. bullshit again. As, yeah, as... I'm assuming Derek's back. Derek's yes, back. Derek is. De- Derek never left. <laughs> Derek <laughs> Derek's always been the caretaker. <laughs> Derek was with you He's all a, the time. He was a time traveler the whole time. He was here the whole time. It is it is remarkable how many of I mean literally all of of uh, heroes problems get solved by stating you know what he wants, just acknowledging his feelings, mm. saying them out loud, or asking something of Baymax, and it's the thing that he struggles with constantly. But it, it also seems like uh, it there's still some work to be done with Baymax's design because Baymax has a lot of things uh, at the ready at any moment if, but you know, the, the user has to know to ask for them. Uh, and much like many confusion comedies, if someone just said what the problem was in the presence of the person with the answer to the problem, uh, then all the solutions would be, would be I, I, I presented. I like that though, because it did feel sort of realistic. I mean, it, Oh no, that's what I think. Let's be honest. Good. Most of us don't actually aren't actually great about stating what what's going on with us. Oh, no. yeah. I'm, I'm, I turned 35 this year, and I would say it's just within the last year that I learned to recognize when I am angry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, I would say, like, just from like a purely practical, like designing a medical apparatus, like people are bad about that. But also people are definitely bad about, like, understanding what is wrong with their bodies or what is wrong with themselves. So, yeah. like. As a medical apparatus that like like requires like people to know what they need, that's not necessarily the best design. So I went Sentience the, I went is a to, very uh, poor uh, yeah. self observational system. So I went to yes. the doctor today um, because doctor, God. doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case. I love me. God, news. I hope you don't have cancer. It's, it's, no, I don't have cancer. Um, I <laughs> Jesus Christ. I um. No, I went to the doctor because I'd been feeling pain in my knees uh, from running. And I went in, 
and was like, just, I wanted to hear what they had to say. The ultimate response is like, yeah, this is a common runner's thing. You need to go, like, we're going to, here's some physical therapy you should go do and all that. And that's like, it's fine. But like the you beginning, stop wearing those pants made out of broken glass. That's exactly right. <laughs> no, the begin, the beginning of the conversation was like, opens the file. First thing she says is, okay, so you're 32. Uh, fuck you, Stefan. I'm a year older than you. It's the, it's the, well, for a man your age. It's like, oh, yes, God, yes. I'm going to hear that the rest of my life. I, I, I yeah. just keep telling yep. myself that, that my girlfriend thinks this gray in my beard is distinguished. Speaking mm. of poor bedside manner, again, I made it. I made that joke earlier about, about Baymax being a, a, a HIPAA violation, but he really... He's not good with like clear medical consent. Yeah. You know, they're they're caught there there's like a running joke in the film about like hero like not I have wanting him to do things. You. Yeah. And he's he's like unbelievable. Well, well, that's also a joke about how people don't actually want to do the things that are good for them when they're grieving and they they yeah. want to uh people don't want know, to do the things that are just, good for them at all not, times. I just yeah. drank three beers. Yeah. <laughs> uh we're, we're just constantly not want to see right? gauging uh, when it is the time to do the things that are good for us. My do we want has to, to tell do me our when final to go to bed. thoughts, by the way? Yeah, we should probably wrap this up. All right. It, we, we, we went way later than we are intending because of the whole fiasco with the recording. Yeah, Patrick, Actually, what are your final just, thoughts? Sir, we just passed I can the feel of the myself film, getting tired. What's your so. final thoughts, Patrick? Um, uh, yeah. I think this is a solid movie. Like, I, I think this is weird because, like, we skipped over because we skipped over because it is not a Marvel movie in in many ways. Like, it it does it is in that there are certain beats that are familiar with it. You know, we do sort of see the rise and fall of our team. We, we do see them suit up. We see them coming together. We see them their disastrous early outing and then to actually come together. Um, and and we also see sort of like the why are they called Big Hero Six. Who cares? kind of aspect to it um yeah, is that which is, a, which, is it is oh it, is no but like where, why is daredevil called daredevil they literally never explain in the show why he's daredevil, a daredevil. Is daredevil he's blind yeah. he but literally he literally gets named between season one and two off screen um I, I enjoy this movie it is a solid movie i agree it is not reached the heights of some of the other uh some of other disney animations other output um which i i think is it's. I don't want to compare this to the MCU or other Marvel movies because that doesn't seem appropriate. I think our, our our comparison to Disney movies around the same time is more apt, and it's really good. It's good. Like it, this is not like we're not in like Brother Bear territory, um, of, of Disney films. I'm not familiar uh, for with the, this work. For the record, I've never seen Brother Bear. I have absolutely no idea how good it how is. How dare you? Awesome. It is from the, have, the dinosaurs and uh, Atlantis and Treasure Planet era that I've not record, seen any of the like Atlantis before. and Treasure Planet. Um, and home, uh, home on the Range? Thank you. Was that a Disney one? Uh, yeah. Was. It was. I thought maybe it was a dream... It was from I the... almost said dream <laughs> Dreamworks is what I was trying how to did... say. I thought it was a dream. Dream a dream. <laughs> I know this is a solid film. Like I think that's the thing. It's like this is a solid movie. It is a simpler movie, um, but the the parts that work, you know, Hero and and Baymax work so well that I kind of yeah. don't care that the rest of it is not quite as good as it could be. If that makes sense, like it's that whole thing where like you know the the the, the gag is always like you know if anyone notices the minor continuity error, we're doing our job wrong. It's it's like it, that's something that um. 
uh, what's his name? Um, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Ed Wood. Uh, Ed Wood Lugosi. said. Ed Ed Wood said that once, and like obviously Ed Wood was missing a few Ed things. Woods, but like, Ed Wood said, if anyone notices the errors, yeah, I'm, I'm doing lost. something wrong. Well, his point was, if they notice, it, it should be so entertaining that they don't notice at all. Yeah. So he failed and, on both counts. Yes, that's the irony. Hitchcock, the irony Hitchcock made a similar point that was probably more credible. <laughs> yes, but Ed Wood was probably. Um, but the point being, yeah, the side characters are kind of weak. When now that we've talked about them, I hadn't really thought of them that way before. It was only when we started discussing them. But like that core is so the core, the Baymax hero core is so strong. I just I, I'm okay with that. And and I think that's just you know I, the, could this movie be even stronger if the side characters were more developed if we did have kind of a better um, transition between Hero's moral event horizon moment and his his his, his, um, his asking for forgiveness um, say maybe with a moment with Aunt Cass hire me I'm a great writer um, hire me Aunt Cass <laughs> yeah <laughs> hire me Meyer Rudolph. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Spicy wings, Aunt Cass. Mm. I do love spicy wings. Um, spicy but wings. I, I, I do think this, this is sort of is a, an example of like if the core part of a movie is strong enough, it can carry you past some weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Even T.J. Miller shaped weaknesses. Mm-hmm. T.J. Miller sucks. He's, he's an abusive bass. He can go to fucking hell. He's the worst. Patrick Ouch. All right. All right, uh, let's go to Nick Bester next for final thoughts, and then we'll keep moving around the horn. Uh, right. and I say My that primarily because Bester should not, uh, he shouldn't have to raise his uh, his conch to have to speak. Mm. Yes. My final thoughts? <laughs> okay, moving on. Dooch, your final thoughts. Um, I mean... This movie's enjoyable. Uh, it's fine. There's there's good parts. There's parts that are you know kind of rote and cliche. Uh, I I feel like if I were if if I were a child or had ever been a child, uh, then <laughs> I, I probably would would probably would uh, get a lot. I out knew of it, it. Um, dude. You are just a bunch of cats in a t-shirt and cargo shorts. We know this. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm definitely not twelve cats in a trench coat. I have never uh, seen you wear cargo shorts. I am wearing cargo shorts right now. What? Yeah, I felt like that was a very I felt like that was a very on brand. I thought that was actually uh, very astute of Patrick. Mm, yeah. uh, uh, maybe I just have a cargo Thank shorts personality. Thank you. I was paying uh, attention. Yeah. <laughs> I uh I. You feel like you would have tried I, to utility kilt at least once. Yeah. I enjoy. Uh, I'm working on a utility cloak. He's um, more like he's more like a human utility kilt. A human utility kilt <laughs> sounds like a much better name for a character than any of the names in this film. Uh, I I just <laughs> feel like I'm reading. No like I have long ago. What's his superpower? Where, Breathability. Where, <laughs> <laughs> I can pee right now. Nice breeze. Uh, Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I, th- these movies are just so formulaic. And I feel like this movie, more than anything else that we've seen in like the MCU, brought to the forefront the, the problem with Disney acquiring everything is that the, the Disney, uh, I, I don't know what the terms are, but like the standards that a, that a film has to 
meet in order for Disney to release it, uh, it it's going to cause even more homogenization than we've already got when it comes to formulaic uh, storytelling, right? I mean, does that mm-hmm. seem like a, a, a very real problem now that Disney has acquired everything that Fox owns? Uh, because I, I feel like the, the only, almost the only quality comic book films that we're getting um, are coming from Marvel. Uh, and that's that's not entirely fair. I'm sure there are plenty of other like side ones that I'm just not focusing on because we're not doing podcasts about them um, or, you know, more independent films that aren't being made by like uh, DC. Um, uh, but I I just feel like the the mouse house is producing everything and a lot of it's good, but there's not as much variation as I want. Uh, and even now in a post Ragnarok era, you know, like Infinity War was fantastic, but I, I feel like I'm. I feel like for this I'm, audience, you don't have to clarify what post Ragnarok means, but it is an yeah. odd turn of phrase. Yeah. <laughs> After we there, all by definition, die. nothing. Yeah, I'm pretty well, sure no, that post Ragnarok. Uh, no, like, there, are, there, are, there are survivors of Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he specifically says that we don't know whether Ragnarok already happened That's or true. not. That's true. There, there are survivors of Ragnarok. I learned that from reading Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. I, as did I. Although I listened yeah. to him say it in his dulcet tones. Mm. One of most regularly. Uh, I, I can't speak today. Um, the good was, thing we're doing a podcast. People use the word dulcet more often to describe Neil Gaiman's voice than any other usage in the English language. Uh, it's the perfect usage. Uh, I don't know. This this uh this movie was fun the first time. It was fun the second time. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Okay. Derek? Next. This is my first time seeing this film and um you know, I, I agree with most of what's been said already, so I won't rehash it, but I can't help but wonder uh to what extent you know, there being a Pixar and mm. the the fact that, you know, the you know, not not all Pixar films are great, but um, there's a version of this film kind of made by Pixar where the world is maybe a little more hashed out and the emotions, the the the, the kind of affect of the film is a little more affecting, even for you know the jaded thirty something. Yeah. Um, you know, like this film never really made me cry. Right. Mm. I mean, and they're like Pixar films make me cry. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. And totally. So I think I think the you know, that that sort of, you know, essence of something that's missing, um, I think really sticks out. And so I can't help but wonder, you know, in, in a world where there is no Pixar, do we read this film kind of differently? Do we do we read it, you know, because we're not making the inevitable comparison, which I'm sure Disney animation, you know, would <laughs> would love for no one to ever have to make this comparison. Um, but, um, probably the best, the best moment of, uh, an employee there is, is when someone confuses one of their films for a Pixar film. They're like, Oh, you you worked on, uh, you worked on Wreck-It Ralph. Pixar made that, didn't they? No, actually it was Disney animation. No, they, they, they say annoying, annoying for the animators and, uh, to the delight of the distributor, Mm. uh, you know, to get back to your, to your Disney point. Um, I, I guess all of that is just to say there's actually like a good bit of like high quality, like 
I don't want to say children's filmmaking. Pixar, you know, it's debatable whether it's, you know, act purely children's There's a difference between a children's film and a family film. And a family film, right. Mm, um, and so, um, you know, I, I can't, you know, I, I wonder if we would, you know, if I at least would would uh, have a different sort of reaction to the film if there weren't so much, like, great stuff happening in animation right now. I, mm, yeah. It also raises the question to me, do you guys ever feel like you just miss 2D animation? Yes, I thought oh, I thought that, I thought that oh, yeah. several yeah. times in this film, specifically yeah. every the moment scene of my where life, Hiro, where yeah. Hiro was riding around San Francisco Okio on Baymax's back for the first time. Mm-hmm. I just thought to myself, "Oh God, I wish this was in 2D." Mm, interesting. Yeah, because I I wanted I to see how that would be realized by great 2D yeah. animators. Um, my my final thoughts. Um, I think we're all kind of in agreement here. The The point that I'd echo that Derek made is when I was, so I saw this in theaters and I, I really enjoyed it in theaters. I thought it was, it was fun. Um, this time around watching it, um, the way I described it to, to Cynthia was that it, it just kind of bounced off of me. Um, like it, I, I enjoyed it intellectually for what it was. Like I could recognize the, the way the film was put together and I appreciated the craft of it and, and thought it was fine. Uh, but it didn't touch me except in very specific parts. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> Show me on the Ludicolo where Big Hero 6 touched you. Thank you. Uh, no, it, uh, it was a, like I said, it, it, it was a film that bounced off of me. It did not stick with me in the way that I thought it would. And I went into it this time around kind of excited because I had fond memories of seeing it in the theater. Um, so I don't know what it was that was different this time. Um, it's not a very funny movie. No, I didn't laugh a lot. I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciated aspects of the design. I appreciated the craft of it. I appreciated that the themes were rich, even if the way that they were drawn out was not necessarily. Um, like I, I, I would recommend anyone to see it once, and that's yeah. probably it. I will also add re vf re being funny. Who is the comic relief character? Baymax. <laughs> I mean, James I say, Cromwell. I would say Wasabi. I think Damon. I think Damon Wayans Jr. is great in this movie. I think we were talking earlier that's about true. sort of the uh, the other members of the team being kind of uh, shallow. And certainly Wasabi is kind of a shallow character, but like he's archetypal enough. And I think uh, uh, Damon Wayans Jr. like plays to that sort of cowardly, anxiety-ridden, neurotic archetype so well that like Wasabi is definitely my favorite of the of the non-main characters. He plays Shaggy better than T.J. Miller plays Shaggy. Yeah, absolutely. They're kind of like I if mean, you took Shaggy and divided the different halves of Shaggy's personality in a yeah, Star Trek-type transporter accident, you would end up with those two characters. <laughs> yeah, Until so you would end up with... Saying, like, it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't. Because he's been divided. Spock. It, yeah. It wasn't me. Spock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you get sort of the anxiety-written sort of coward part of Shaggy's character uh, in Wasabi, and I think it works really well. And again, you know, I really love Damon Wayans Jr. I think he's a great, uh, you know, comic actor. Uh, and then you have sort of, like, the weedy stoner guy in uh, mm-hmm. in Fred, and it fucking sucks, because that's about the extent of it. Yeah, He's this guy who's obsessed with invisible sandwiches and spinning signs around, and he's just... 
Yeah, I mean, I feel, it's bad. I, feel like I mean, he's an appropriate children's uh, comedic character. Kids he's love just saying things stoners. that are ridiculous. You know, yeah. uh, he's talking yeah. about invisible sandwiches and how free food is great. You and, have said that. You know, it's twice it's relatable. Now. I've heard the God. words invisible sandwiches, and like three Guinnesses deep, I would love an invisible sandwich right now. <laughs> Okay, so I, not I just children, uh, children and drunks. I would love, love <laughs> an, an invisible Reuben right about now. He's uh, low on battery. Yep. Yeah. When he's uh, low on battery, is he bay low? Oh. Uh, I'm exhausted, guys, yeah. so we're done. Yeah, let's just uh, let's wrap up here real quick. So our next film, now, now that we have made our detour back... Uh, Back in time. We've gone back in time. Yep, no, it's time to Appropriate, because considering I know what our next film yeah, is. Our next film is Doctor Strange. So yeah. Come back. It works because he's got the time stone, you see. Oh, I get it. I think, I think we talked about this last time when we explained <laughs> when we talked about doing this, uh, you going about back it? in time. We, we, it was we, appropriate. Don't, we don't repeat bits. Um, <laughs> Never. Ever. So, Never. Yeah, uh, Doctor Strange and, okay. So, the X-Files, man. What a great show. Yeah. <laughs> Synchronicity. 